Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Precept Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of 2 Thessalonians. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here again, Unlocking the Truth podcast. This week we're going to be in episode 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, This is a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada, Uh, but the great news is we've been hearing this podcast is reaching far beyond Canada, which is great. Uh, We're into the last quarter of our ministry. Our year end is December 31st, and I want to encourage you, visit our website, see how you can get involved in the ministry. Uh, Online classes, we have online training. We also have opportunities to uh, invest in the ministry. You can all find that online. But I also wanted to uh, highlight one thing for you, and uh, Lord willing, uh, you'll be able to participate in this, but it is the Hold Fast Conference that's coming up with David and Kay Arthur. Uh, Opportunity to study through the book of 1 Peter and uh, learn about how we can uh, hold fast, stand firm, persevere in the midst of all of the persecution that's coming. Very interesting that uh, the timing of our 2 Thessalonians podcast, along with the conference with Kay and David, I want to encourage you to participate in that. Register online at preceptministries.ca. And if you had the opportunity, even if you joined the conference um, when we were in British Columbia um, at the beginning of uh, 2019 or in Ontario, Uh, in September of last year, uh, still sign up and send the link or send the the, uh, kind of the registration link to somebody that you know would benefit from learning the inductive Bible study method as well as learning how to stand firm and hold fast in the midst of all this persecution. Look around us, folks. That's what we're going to be covering uh, today and, and a little bit more in the next couple weeks. But look around and what's happening in our culture. And uh, there's no greater time than this for you and I to know how to stand on biblical truth, how to live out a life that is worthy of our calling. And that is what we'll be looking at through the Hold Fast Conference. David and Kay are going to be taking us through the entire book of First Peter. And that is the first weekend in November, a Friday night and a Saturday. So uh, register online, preceptministries.ca. 
without further ado, let's pray and let's get into uh, episode three. Father, we do come before you and we are so thankful for this ministry. We're thankful that we have an opportunity to uh, engage people in relationship with you through knowing your word. That, Father, you've called us to be people who are hungry to uh, pursue your word, to not only uh, take it in, but live it out. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, walk through the text today, as um, we listen to uh, what your word says, that uh, this would be an opportunity for us to evaluate even further our heart. What is our life like in pursuit of you? Help us to be people who are worthy of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week, uh, going to be a little bit differently. Um, not so much in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, me talking to you through the, through the internet is going to be any different. But uh, I'm hoping that uh, if you're listening, and you're listening in your car or you're out on a walk, or a run, or whatever the avenue that you are listening, uh, I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen again with a sheet of paper. And the reason I am saying with a sheet of paper is because throughout this episode this week, we are going to walk through chapter 2, but we are going to create a timeline and I'm going to describe a timeline to you. And I'm hoping that you will draw out this timeline. You will write it out with all of the information on this timeline so that when we get into episode four and we start to dig further into the day of the Lord, that we will have set this overview, this big picture scope of chapter two. All right. So uh, don't, whatever you do, don't try and draw this out if you're driving. Like, go back and listen. I don't want to encourage any law-breaking uh, in the sense that um, you'd be distracted in your driving. All right? So, with that said, let's get, get going. So, what we've got, let's review. Uh, I want to start with looking at um, chapter 1 as, the, as a whole. Okay? So, the three main subjects that we've talked about and we've wrapped through that overview week that we did was chapter one is heavily focused on persecution and suffering. Last week, we learned that Christians suffer for the purpose of refining, to uh, send them through the fire to prepare them for an event. And that event is their home going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to get them ready to be worthy partakers of the kingdom of God. That's what chapter 1 is. Paul's getting back and saying, let me remind you that the suffering and the persecution that's coming from the outside, that's coming from the enemy, has its purpose, and its purpose is to challenge you and see how strong your faith is, and will you continue to run towards the prize, or will you fall away? Will you back off? Will you not really want to run and be discouraged? And so this, this suffering that they're talking about is that outside opponent has the purpose of causing you to fall. And so, but when we have a biblical perspective of this suffering and persecution, we understand that the suffering 
is a refining. It is getting us ready. It is showing the strength of our faith and getting us ready for the coming of Jesus Christ in that time where he will get us, he will bring us back to heaven to be with the Father. Uh, Chapter 2, the focus that is mainly paying attention to is the very fact that it is the day of the Lord. It's what is going to happen and the signs that have to come before the coming of the Lord. And then chapter 3 is all about work. It's all about the work and not being just busy bodies, but being focused on the kingdom. But we'll get there. We're not ready to get to chapter 3 yet. We're still in chapter 2. And so as we kind of walk through chapter 2 now, uh, I want to kind of segment out these uh, verses in chapter 2 into three sections. The first section is chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 are solely focused on the day of the Lord and the signs of the coming day of the Lord. Uh, Then we have verses 13 to 15. And I've summarized uh, verses 13 to 15 as the doctrinal statement of believers. We'll get there. We're not ready to get there yet, but we'll get to those verses today. Then verses 16 and 17 are Paul's prayer, and it really sounds like a benediction to the end of kind of that teaching or that sermon or that focus. So you've got the day of the Lord in verses 1 to 12, and it's signs in chapters In verses 13 to 15, you've got the doctrinal statement of the believers. This is the foundation. And then in 16 and 17, you have the prayer. So now let's walk through the verses together. And we're going to spend a lot of time uh, this week looking through uh, the Greek definitions of the words um, that uh, are in the text. Okay, so here's um, our first section that we're going to walk through and it's chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 let's look a little closer at 1 and 2 so what he says here is he says that now we request you brethren with regard to the coming of our lord jesus christ and our gathering together um, to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So if you remember the overview, what we talked about was that there was some false teaching, some false information going around that the day of the Lord has already come, that the suffering and the persecution that they were facing was a result of God's judgment and that one event, one important event, was missed. And that uh, important event that we're talking about comes with the understanding in verse 1 with two words. All right, the two words that we want to look closer at are coming and gathering. So uh, as, we, as we walk through, we're going to look at this event and the coming and gathering and how they seem to uh, connect together, all right? So uh, coming is the Greek word parousia, and it means uh, the presence or arrival. 
Uh, it also is referred to in that coming with the man of lawlessness, and it points to a point of time uh, when they're coming. So uh, in this case, we're referring to the coming of Jesus Christ, and the purpose of his coming is gathering. And so we see that right in verse 1, coming and gathering, all right? And so gathering is pulling all people into one place, all right? It's also referred to as a complete collection. Um, uh, also, gathering is used in the sense of, you know, coming together for the purpose of worship. Uh, I found one definition in my studies which said that it, the gathering is to uh, introduce an object or a person. So in this case, what we have is we have this coming and this gathering of Jesus Christ. So if you've got your sheet of paper, the first thing we want to do is we want to draw a straight line, which is going to be our timeline. And then the first event we want to have is right in the middle of that timeline. I want you to draw a cloud at the top of your paper and then draw an arrow up from that bottom line going up to the cloud and in the cloud right coming and gathering. All right, that's a lot of information in a short amount of time. Hit pause if you have to, if you got to get that down. So straight line for the timeline, arrow going up with a cloud and the coming and the gathering. So what Paul is going to do is he is going to address this one event in the overlying period of time, which is the day of the Lord. Uh, go back and listen to First Thessalonians podcast if you did not listen to that, and listen to the episode that focuses on chapter 5. Because what we did was we walked through some definitions that come from chapter 5, verse 1, about the times and epochs. All right, so times and epochs were either pointing to, times was pointing to a certain time, a, you know, an event that's happening in not just, not a period of time, but a physical time. And then epochs was a period of time. And so what we're looking at here is as we defined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, we defined that the day of the Lord is a period of time. It's a time in which there's a lot going to be happening. All right, and so what we have here is we've got this cloud with this arrow pointing up saying coming together. Now what Paul is going to do is he's going to basically encourage the church. He's going to tell them, look, folks, you have not missed this day. You have not missed the coming and the gathering of believers. The suffering that you are facing, it serves a purpose. And that purpose is a refining. It is a building up and it is pointing to getting you ready for the, word, for the kingdom of God, for this gathering that he's now going to address. So he wants them to not be shaken. Don't be rattled by it. This is the thing. As we walk through this text, I want you to keep thinking about how this applies to me. Well, think about persecution and suffering. What does that do to the person and to you individually in your mental state? All right. So begins to kind of 
rub you in ways where you're like, why is this happening to me? Uh, what's going on in my life? Uh, is your faith beginning to rattle and shake a little bit because of what's happening around you? And these are the things that Paul wants them to be aware of is uh, don't be shaken by this. Don't be rattled by any information that comes from the outside that is contrary to what I've already told you. All right, so now let's walk through um, the rest of uh, these verses. All right, chapter 3. Uh, the, he tells us, don't let anyone, or verse 3, uh, don't let anyone deceive you, for it will not come unless apostasy comes first. So this is the next event that we want to add to our timeline. So right to the left of your cloud and your arrow going up, you want to write the word apostasy. So we're told that apostasy has to come before the coming and the gathering uh, of believers. All right, so now what we have is apostasy with uh, the definition, all right? So it's apostasia. And so it's a falling away from the faith, all right? Uh, a better definition, to rise up in open defiance of authority. Uh, I wrote a note at the bottom of my uh, Bible here in the open space that I had because I wanted uh, not only you to understand, but I want to be continually reminded myself that apostasy uh, does not apply to a genuine Christian, uh, but it applies to those who merely profess Jesus with their mouth, but they easily fall to Satan's deception. So a genuine believer in Jesus Christ would not fall for the deception of Satan and fall away from the faith. All right, it's those who would profess um, Jesus with their mouth, but not show fruit from in their life. Now, uh, you might be pausing and thinking to yourself, I've, I've got to wrap my brain around this. How do I better understand this? Well, here's the encouragement for you. Go back in the podcast library and look for the episode in the book of Hebrews that focuses on chapter 6. We went really in-depth into the two groups of people that, are, that succumb to apostasy. There's those who are unsaved that, will, that profess that fall away, and there are those who are genuine Christians, those who are the true thing. And so uh, go back and listen to that podcast because if we were to dive deep into that again in this podcast, we'd be going for hours um, this week, all right? So uh, Hebrews chapter 6 podcast will help to have better understand apostasy, okay? So what we know is this apostasy has to come first, this falling away, this revolt against truth. Okay, so that's really what it is. And so, uh, important, remember, it doesn't apply to those who are genuine of the faith. Um, the battle becomes in, those, in that podcast in Hebrews 6 is, can a believer lose their salvation? So you want to go back and, and listen to that. All right, so now here's the next part that he says, all right? 
Okay, apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. All right, so now uh, we have this important uh, piece of information that we're going to kind of add to our timeline. But before we add it to our timeline, uh, there has to be um, just a context thing that we want to look at. All right, the overall context is the day of the Lord. It's that final day, that day of that time of judgment that is going to come. If you remember back in chapter one, he talks about the fact that God will repay those who are bringing persecution and suffering. So what Paul is doing is pointing through this period of time and giving us the series of events. But what he says here is, before the day of the Lord, the lawless one will have to be revealed. Now listen to the description of what's going to happen with this lawless one being revealed. All right, he will be one who opposes, verse 4, and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. All right, so there is a ton of information in that verse. All right, so first, we know that he is a man of lawlessness. He is the son of destruction. So I want to look at uh, these two words, uh, lawlessness and destruction. And so as we look at lawlessness and destruction, uh, we have the word uh, anemia, which is lawlessness. And this means a complete disregard for the laws and regulations of society. Um, I don't know about you, but when I think about lawlessness, all I have to do is turn on the television and see what lawlessness looks like. If I want to know what a complete disregard for the law is, turn on the news. It's all over the place right now. We're seeing lawlessness like, like I have never seen before. Uh, watching one newscast in the last few weeks, watching a man walk up to a police car and blatantly shoot bullets into the car, uh, shooting two police officers, is a complete disregard for the law. We're seeing everything within respect to police officers who are to uphold the law now be people that we want to take money away from, that we don't want to respect, and we want to throw things at them, we want to shoot them, we want them killed, we want to call for violence against them and against the law. This is what the Bible describes as lawlessness. It's a a violation, and not only just a violation against the laws of society, it's violations against God's laws. And so it's a violation or a going against God's word. Uh, This, too, we see rampant in society. This is the things that get those who try to follow every sign within Scripture to the actual day-to-day things that are going on gets them all fired up because we know that as a part of our um, walk towards the coming and gathering, walk towards the day of the Lord, that lawlessness will increase. 
that lawlessness will become prevalent. So what we have here in this verse is we know that the man of lawlessness, the man of violation against God's laws will be revealed. He's also referred to the son of destruction. Uh, This means to uh, ruin or to destroy. And one of the definitions I found was utter destruction of a person or an object. So the, the, this is the, the point, is to cause those to fall away. This is, this is the point of all of this. All right, so now uh, we've got the son of destruction. Look at, he opposes. What does he oppose? He opposes God and his law. What else do we know? He exalts himself. He raises himself above any god and above God and puts himself in the temple of a place of worship so that people will worship the man of violation against God's law, that people will worship the son of destruction, that they'll be so deluded that they will believe that that man who is sitting in the temple is their God. Now, coming back to the timeline, the question that I have and I, and I had for my Bible studies is, is it possible to have two kings sitting on the throne? Uh, to, to help us understand the timing of the revelation or the revealing of the man of lawlessness. If Jesus is present on earth and he is sitting on the throne, if he is there, is it possible for this man of lawlessness to um, sit on that same throne? Uh, The answer that we came to in the conclusion was most likely no. I don't think so. So if the man of lawlessness is revealed, then there is an event that has taken place already and has occurred in the timeline uh, to show that Jesus is not present on earth. So uh, in the timeline, I have written that the lawless one is revealed after Jesus has come and has gathered and taken his believers. Now, here's the thing. We could get into great debate over all of these events, but go back, listen to First Thessalonians podcast. The whole purpose of eschatology is for encouragement, not debate. But what I'm looking at as the text, and I'm walking through the scriptures, and we'll keep going through all of this, we're going to see uh, why we would put that event of the lawless one revealed after what we might call uh, the rapture, the coming and gathering of the people. All right, let's keep walking through the text. Uh, Plenty of verses to go, and uh, we're already uh, 30 minutes almost into this this uh, podcast, all right? So he says he will pose himself and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, look what he says in verse 5. This verse 5 is 
so encouraging to me, and it blows me away. And he says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things. Like I said to the class that I'm teaching on this, if I were to close my eyes, I would want to think that maybe Paul, um, he too had a whiteboard of some sort, and he was drawing out the timeline for the people that he was teaching for this church. He was walking in through them through the events to show them how it was all working. I, I have no idea if ta- Paul was uh, drawing a timeline, but I, that's what I picture. All right, I picture him doing the same thing we're doing together now with the church in Thessalonia, walking them through the um, signs and the times of what's going to come. So he calls them to remember. And this is the thing, that when we get into suffering and persecution, we have a tendency to focus on that event, that suffering, that becomes the sole focus of what we're doing. It can consume our thoughts. It can take us to areas where we don't want to go. Uh, Kay, she talks about this, and, and don't, you know, those thoughts are Satan knocking at the door. Don't open the door and let it in. So what happens is, as we begin to think about the suffering and the persecution, Um, that's going on, the events that are taking place, like, how is this all applying to my life? What's going on here? And you become shaken. You become rocked by what's happening. You begin to think about what other people are teaching on this. And what Paul's saying is, I need you to reset. I need you to reset back to when I was with you and I taught you. Bring to mind and recall all of the truths of God's word regarding the day of the Lord. You know this stuff. You know what's happening. I've taught you this. And so now I need you to bring it back to the forefront of your mind so that you won't be shaken. You won't be rocked by those false teachers, those ones who are trying to delude you, to to persuade you to believe that you missed the coming and the gathering of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. He lays out all of these things. And then right in verse 5, reset, people. Reset. Stop. Think about what I've already taught you. What I've already taught you does not align with any letter you've received or with any person who is trying to tell you different. Trust what I am teaching you because I am teaching you God's word. So cool, so cool. So the same thing for us, right? You you need to think about that. When when you're suffering and, and you're going through it, reset. Reset on God's word. Remember what you have been taught and what you have been learned, what you have learned. All right, so now we have, uh, let's go back to verse five and walk into verse six because it brings us to our next sign. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time, he will be revealed. All right, so if we walk through this letter and we look for time references, now is a time reference. So on our timeline, what we want to write before um, the apostasy, all right, but I want you to write it underneath 
the line. So you've got your timeline, but underneath the timeline, uh, write this, he who restrains. All right, so we see that there is uh, someone, something, restraining the lawless one now. So that is the period of time that we are in this very moment. He's being restrained for his time to be revealed. Now, uh, just to quickly and not spend a lot of time on this, the he, uh, I'm going to challenge you, all right, as students of the word, go back and look at that he and see how it fits into the structure of the Greek because uh, there is great debate over that he. Does it actually point to a person? Uh, is it the Holy Spirit? Uh, there is much debate over that with not much conclusion. So we're not going to spend time looking at the debate over that. You can go and you can look through commentaries on your own and see what comes up of that, but I would also challenge you, go back to the Greek and look at he and see how that uh, structure comes into that sentence. Okay, so now we know that he is restrained for a time. He's restrained, but he will be revealed. All right, now look at verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So now I want to focus on the lawless one because that's that he who restrains again. I uh, want you to look at the things that we see. First, the mystery of lawlessness is at work. Above he who restrains on the timeline, you want to write the mystery of lawlessness. All right, so a couple things that we want to look at. All right, so the word revealed. Uh, revealed will be that uh, may uncover and made known or to take out of hiding. So right now, under the, the mystery, the word mystery uh, is the secret of, you know, towards men. Uh, the most interesting part of the definition that I got on mystery is that it can be made known only by a divine revelation and is made known at the appointed time by God. Uh, so it's the mystery of iniquity which began to work in secret and not was not completely disclosed or manifested. So lawlessness is already at work. Uh, like I've already said in this podcast, look around. Look to the left and to the right. Uh, lawlessness is happening in our world. But it's not fully revealed. All right? So it's not fully revealed at who's fully behind it in the man of lawlessness. He has not taken his position in the temple in a place of where he is worshipped like he is God. That has not happened yet, but we do see lawlessness at work throughout the world. So let me just describe to you uh, the timeline where we're at so far. Uh, in this day and age, 
we have the mystery of lawlessness at work. We also know that the man of lawlessness is restrained. And he's restrained for the purpose of his appointed time of being revealed. We also know that an apostasy has to come before the coming and the gathering of Jesus Christ. That after Jesus Christ has come and gathered all of his believers, his true believers, back to him, then the lawless one will be revealed. All right, that's taken us all the way to verse 8. After, sorry, in verse 7, I don't want to miss this. I want you to see that he says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He now restrains and does so until he is taken out of the way. So let's keep in mind that there will be a point in time when he will be taken away. He will be removed from the temple and he'll, he'll be just, he'll be gone. We'll look, we'll look closer at that. Uh, verse 8. Uh, then, time reference, okay? So time reference tells us that he will, um, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. All right? So now we know a couple of things. One, we know that Jesus is coming back to earth. So at the end of the timeline, I want you to write um, a cross up near your cloud with an arrow going down, which is our indicator of Jesus coming back. And now we're going to see why Jesus is coming back. And the first thing we learn in verse 8 is that he will come back and he will take out the lawless one. He will kill with his breath the lawless one, the man of violence, the son of destruction. He will be removed. All right? Now look at um, the, the next part. And we have in verse 9, the one coming, um, the one that is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness, for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth uh, so as to be saved. All right, so let just look at what's further described of this man of lawlessness. There's, there's more to it. We learn above that he is the son of destruction. Well, now we learn who his father is. We learn that he is going to come in accord with the activity of, of Satan, that Satan, we know from the gospel of John, is the father of sin, the father of lies. You know, nothing that comes out of his mouth is true. And so uh, this lawless one is going to come in the same activity, the same actions as Satan. And what he's going to do, he's going to come with all power. He's going to have signs and wonders. He's going to do things that make him look like God. Uh, You have to be able to um, do some pretty amazing things to be elevated to to the point of worship in the temple of God as though you are God. 
these signs and these wonders are going to draw people into his attention. They're going to draw people into his focus, and people are going to bow and worship him because of what he does. Uh, He's going to come with signs and false wonders. He's going to be full of deception and wickedness uh, for those who perish. He is going to lead unbelievers, those who have not um, professed their Christian faith, those who have not followed the truth of the gospel. He is going to further delude and deceive unbelievers to the point of where they will worship them. And, and I can only imagine, when I think about um, the uh, First Thessalonians, that chapter 5 says, when, when, when they cry peace and safety, Jesus will come. And, and just think about that for a moment, that this lawless one will will elevate himself to a place of worship. He'll put himself in the temple. He will deceive so much that those who are unbelievers will be speaking about peace and safety and protection under the activity of Satan. And I think about right now, and I think, man, the lawless one is revealed. But what we're seeing in the world seems like it is a lot. And yet, lawlessness is going to get a lot worse than we have ever seen before. We are going to see people fall to a deluding influence like we have never seen before. Uh, verse 10, he'll come with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Remember, the sovereignty of God. Not one thing happens in this world without God's permission. And so even the man of lawlessness is under submission to God. It's not outside of God's design and plan for all of this to happen. Now, I want to add two things to the timeline. First, uh, where the lawless man, lawless man is revealed on your timeline, underneath that, I want you to write the activity of Satan. All right, the activity of Satan, which is deception. That is going to lead to the day of the Lord in which the lawless one will be slain. All right, so there's a cup, and the other part of that is down under where the lawless one will be slain is that this is where God will judge unbelievers. All right, so uh, I want to take us back to chapter 1 for a minute and, and add two th- that, these two things to the, plum, the uh, timeline. First is that God 
is going to judge unbelievers. He tells us that in uh, verse 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. We're going to be, God is a just God and they're going to be judged for their sin. The other thing that is going to happen is that it comes from chapter 1. And when Paul was talking about all of the persecution and all of the suffering that was happening in the world, he was telling the believers to hang on and persevere, but that there would be a time that would come that God would, verse 6, for after all, it is only just for God to repay affliction uh, with those who afflict you. He'll give you, believer, relief, but he will judge those who are bringing affliction and suffering on you. Those outside source people, those believer, those unbelievers who are bringing this against you, this suffering and persecution for what you believe, that God will repay them and judge them. And this is going to happen, as we know, in the day of the Lord. God is going to judge people based on their wickedness. And we know that the judgment that they will receive is eternal destruction. So that comes at the end of the timeline where Jesus comes back. But at the beginning of the timeline, I want to connect chapter 1 and chapter 2 together. So if you think about chapter 1, what we talked about last week was that our suffering and our persecution is for the purpose of making us worthy of the kingdom of God. So at the beginning of our timeline, we have this mystery of lawlessness, then this apostasy, then the coming and gathering. But what does this mean for us? You see, in this time of the mystery of lawlessness, before the apostasy comes, the purpose in here, and what I've got on the timeline, is during this time, the time that we are in right now, this is God's righteous judgment for believers. This is God taking us and refining our faith with difficult situations for the purpose of getting us ready for the coming and the gathering of believers. Our faith is being refined and taken through the fire right now in this day and age so that when Jesus comes, we are proven worthy of going back to heaven with him. That is our purpose. That is our focus. That is our drive. Nothing is more important to you and I than making sure that as we walk towards the coming day of the Lord, that we are ready for that coming and gathering, that we are considered worthy of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul, in all of his letters, focuses on our walk. Walk worthy of the kingdom of God. Walk in the wisdom of God. Colossians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians. Make sure 
you are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Don't have your foot in the world and try to serve two kingdoms. It cannot be done. Your job and your purpose is to serve Jesus. It's to not be deluded. It's not to be deceived. It's not to be shaken by the things that come from the outside. The purpose and focus, folks, and I repeat it again and again because God wants us to know these things, is we need to be ready for the coming of the kingdom. Don't put your hope in political people. Don't put your hope in elections. Don't put your hope in individuals. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Be ready for his return. And then, as we see all of these things laid out in our timeline, we get to this doctrinal statement that Paul wants us to be encouraged by. And what he says in verses 13 and 15 to 15, he says, uh, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by God, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and the faith and the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. All right, I want to walk back very quickly through these uh, three verses. First, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy want to thank God for the very fact that the brethren were beloved and chosen. These are the same words that come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Beloved and chosen by God. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. If you look at the contrast between the two groups of people in chapter 2, one group is destined for wrath and destruction. One group is headed for further delusion, deception by the lawless one, and ultimate judgment which leads to destruction. The other group is headed for salvation. The group of believers, those who have put their faith, those who have walked worthy, will receive salvation from God. And now, what we're doing in the purpose of God's righteous judgment for believers is what we call sanctification. It's the Spirit who is working in us to show us the sin that we must defeat, the sin that we must get rid of in order to be worthy of the kingdom of God. And so here we are uh, being sanctified by the Spirit in faith and in truth. He called us through the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we heard, that we received, that we believed, and we now live out are the reasons why we will be worthy of the kingdom of God. And so he comes then to a term of conclusion in verse 14. So then. It go, it's the same 
you know, understanding and wording of verse 5. Remember what I taught you. So then, stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by the word of mouth or by letter from us. Remember that when I was with you, what I taught you. Remember 1 Thessalonians, that first letter I sent to you. Remember the truths because those truths all come from God's word. And when you remember God's word, you'll be able to stand firm and hold fast in the difficulty. When I was a kid, uh, I was a little bit of a troublemaker. And uh, the only analogy I could come up to was uh, King of the Hill. And I don't know if you ever played that game, but King of the Hill for us in my, in my childhood was we lived on a court and uh, we had the snowplow would come every year and what it would do is it would build a big snow hill in the middle of the court. It would not sort of plow it out of the court, it'd just leave a giant hill at the end. And as soon as that hill would get bigger and bigger with multiple snowfalls, uh, all of the kids would get up there and they would create, you know, toboggan lines or uh, ways to go down that hill. But one of the games us guys played, king of the hill. Whoever's at the top of the hill. And if anyone tries to get up that hill, we push him back down the hill. And whoever can stay on the top of that hill the longest was king of the hill. And so what you had to do to remain up there was you had to firmly dig your feet into the top of that hill, that snowbank. And you wanted to be in there up to your shins so that when people came to push you, when people came to get you off that hill, you were immovable. That nothing was going to move you off the top of that hill. It didn't matter how big that other kid was. It didn't matter whether two or three kids were coming to push you. You were not falling off that hill. And that's what Paul is telling the believers to do with the word of God. Is dig in. Get position. And that when garbage teaching comes at you, that you will not move that you'll be shoulder down, ready to defend, that you'll push off anything that is contrary to God's word, that you'll push off anything that is contrary to truth. You'll push it away and you will reject it because you stand firm, because you are chosen by God, because you are sanctified by God, that you live out the gospel and you are worthy of the kingdom and you are not going to let one thing enter your mind that is not truth. That's what he's telling them, to stand firm, that the persecution and the suffering is coming and it has a purpose for you in your life. But don't think about it being anything other than the fact that you are being refined for the coming and gathering of believers. I mean, I get fired up when I look at verses 13 to 15. And then he, he brings this prayer and this encouragement. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts 
in every good work and word. My prayer is that you would understand. Look at this great statement that comes here, that you would have eternal comfort, that you would be so secure in your position in Jesus Christ that you will be comforted by the fact that you are saved, that you will know that one day when that coming and gathering happens, that you will be there, that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, that you would continue to have hope, that you would have a hope and keep your eyes looking towards Jesus, that you would be in grace Go back and listen to last week and the importance of grace as we go through suffering and persecution. And that we would be strengthened. That our hearts would be strengthened and reminded that as we pursue Jesus, as we grow in our faith, in our love from one another, chapter one, that persecution will even grow more and more. But the very fact is that we would be strengthened in the fact that what we are doing in the sanctification in our own lives and what we are doing when we're out serving and populating heaven and plundering hell has a purpose. And that purpose is getting ready, not only ourselves, but others for the coming and gathering of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we wrap up this time together that as we've drawn out this timeline that we look at it and we understand that there is a purpose that God has a plan and that a part of that plan is a refining of us as believers to prepare us for an event that is coming soon the coming and gathering of believers but father we also know that there is a day coming when when unbelievers will be judged Father, this will be a day of great destruction, eternal destruction for souls. And Father, I pray that you would um, give us an understanding of the urgency to share the gospel with others. That Father, we would understand that our role is to populate heaven and plunder hell. So put people in front of us that so desperately need to hear these truths people that need to be gripped by the gospel, people that uh, have been walking with the Lord but have stopped walking in obedience because of the suffering and persecution. Father, I pray that you would ignite a fire in them as well. Father, help us to be people who are worthy of your kingdom, who are ready and watching for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.